Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick, back with Chris Whittingham, was in England for another week. I feel like that's his second home at this stage. <laughs> uh, but we are together again today. We've done a few podcasts together, and this is the second one we've done from up in Jupiter at Marlins Spring Training. We've been spending a lot of time up here. A lot of guys in our network, Jeremy Tache, Craig Mish, the guys from Cinco de Zonas, uh, Tony Capobianco. So we've had a lot of people up here at Marlins, and today we want to talk to the man who's sort of in charge of putting this thing together. Um, and you're probably familiar with him. He's actually been on Swings and Mishes. Uh, you should check that episode out as well. That was out a few months ago. But it's Michael Hill, um, Marlins executive. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Um, and we're doing this, actually. Uh, can I reveal this, where we're doing this <laughs> podcast from? <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. We are sitting uh, on Derek Jeter's cart. Yeah. Um, so... You know, this is like a place of royalty, basically. And uh, this is a, him on the phone this right is a Hall of Fame card. He wants to know why the hell these two people are sitting on his cart uh, out here at Marlins Spring Training. We're going to spend some time uh, with Mike here today. And want to start here with you because it's a little bit of a parallel situation. I was talking to Chris before the podcast of uh, we, we were talking about the Dolphins and that there's someone there, you know, who's an executive who's now in charge of the whole operation and Chris Greer, who's been there for a long time. But things have kind of changed under his feet. And so what he's doing now may not be what he was doing before or the same way he was doing it before. What was your first year with the Marlins, Mike? Uh, my first year was uh, um, 2002. I came in the fall of 2002. I like to tell myself I was the last piece to that uh, World Series build <laughs> um, back uh, in 2002. But I came over as assistant GM in uh, 2002 uh, at the end of the 07 season. I was promoted to GM, uh, and then at the end of the 13th season, I was promoted to uh, president of baseball operations. So how do you summarize how your job is? Not, not Obviously, I know ownership has changed. We're going to get into that. But just your job specifically, how is it different? How are your daily responsibilities different from, say, they were three, four years ago? Well, three or four years. I guess I've been president of baseball operations uh, since 13, so the last – so last, yeah, five years. Um, but prior to becoming that, you know, now I'm the, the senior most person in president baseball operations. So, I mean, you don't do anything in, in any sport. You don't do it by yourself. Obviously, you know, Don Mattingly is the manager and he is my partner um, through all of this. Uh, our assistant GM, Brian Chatton, um, is a huge, you know, assistance to me. Um, our vice president of player development and scouting, Gary Dimbo, oversees our minor leagues and our scouting operations. So, you know, I may be the president of baseball operations, but I'm, I'm definitely not alone in what I do on a day in and day out basis. Yeah. And I was curious from your vantage point, what the transition was like, because I think we saw when the new ownership took over that there were a lot of changes, but you were kind of the one mainstay. What was that process like for you? Did you think that you were going to be kept around? And, and in general, what has that change been like for you? Well, you know, from, from my standpoint, it's something I always share with all of our players. You control what you can control. And, and uh, you know, I know I had a job to do um, when, when the transition happened and new ownership came. Um, we had clear lines of what we wanted to get accomplished. 
And uh, they had enough confidence in me to, to empower me to do that. And we set out to, to, to do a job. So, you know, in, in this game, you know, it's my 25th year in the front office. And, and uh, as Ethan said, I've, I've done pretty much everything. You know, I started as an assistant, you know, 25 years ago in copies and airport runs. And, and I've worked my way up, you know, to, to oversee, you know, a, a, a baseball department. So I'm, I'm very comfortable in, in my knowledge of the game and, and my experience within the game. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, that the new ownership, you know, saw um, and felt like I was the, the right person to, to lead our baseball department uh, in this new era of Marlins baseball. So take us through those conversations a little bit. So Bruce Sherman comes in, Derek comes in, new ownership group. How do you sort of make the case? Did you have to make the case or was it kind of made for you in some ways? that you were the right guy to lead this going forward? Because we see new ownership groups come in all the time and they just clean house and everybody's gone. What was that conversation like? What can you share about that? Um, really, I, I think all of that had been done previously, had done prior you know, prior to, to them walking through the door. I think there was a, a clear path you know, through their due diligence. I think they understood what they, they wanted to do. I think the biggest thing um, for me and our department was just our direction and the direction that we were going. You know, we had just come off a 77-win season um, with the the reigning MVP in Stanton and then with Yelich and Ozuna and Riamuto. And, you know, it was a very talented um, group of position players, but um, there wasn't nearly enough pitching and the minor league system was barren. And really, I just, you know, gave my evaluation of, of – of, of where I felt we were as an organization, and uh, and that's where where we started started the conversation. So when so th- that was your assessment of the team. I think a, a, a skeptical fan might say, "Well, you were part of the organization as that happened." So I, I guess my question would be: Was that self assessment based off of the results that played out on the field, or do you think years worth of process that maybe had gone wrong? Um, I think uh, all of the above. You know, when you're making when you're making decisions and tough decisions I think you really do have to look in the mirror and you need to to be a a, a fair self-evaluator you know we challenge our players to be you know accurate self-evaluators I think we had to be honest with with where we were as an organization the missteps that have been taken and and really be honest and 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 take a deep hard look at what needed to be done in order to to right the ship put us in the right direction and, and put us on solid foundation. Would you would you be willing to say, even if it's just one and even if it was minor, just an area that you think has turned over in the organization from where you were to where you are now that in that self-assessment you identified this is an area where we need to fix something or that we can improve? Well, it, it was no secret that our minor league system um, was, was barren. Um, to build anything sustainable, you, you need to have waves of talent. You need to have a strong minor league system upon which you're built. So it's your foundation. And we just didn't have it. You know, when, when you're chasing championships, you know, you, you're always going to think about the now and not think about the future, not think about the, the process and developing and growing because you're chasing it. And our goal is, is, is still the same. Our goal is to win a championship. Um, but we understood that we needed to take a, a, a make a tough decision um, to trade off a lot of talented players, um, but put us in a much better situation moving forward. It didn't work with, with those talented position players. We didn't have 
the pitching. We didn't have the minor league system. And so, you know, to, to think that we were a player or two away just wasn't realistic. That, that wasn't being honest with yourself to think you're one or two players away. Um, so you make the tough decisions. You start the process in the fall of 2017 with, uh, with the trades, the trading D. Gordon, the trading Giancarlo Stanton, the trading Marcelo Zuna. Um, and you get back talent in return. You know, uh, we ultimately traded Yelich. Uh, in January of 2018, uh, but through those four trades, we brought in 28 impactful prospects. Um, so you start that you know process of rebuilding your system, uh, and now um, fast forward another year beyond that off season, um, and we traded JT Riomuto. Uh, in the last 18 months, it's been 38 new prospects into the organization. Uh, 12 of the top 15 prospects uh, in the organization are new, under new ownership. Um, we have layers of talent um, from the lower levels of our minor leagues up through AAA. Most importantly, in my mind, we have starting pitching. We have layers of starting pitching. Um, and, and that is what is going to give you that ability uh, to be sustainable, um, to compete on a year-in, year-in basis for championships. And that's the goal. That's the message that was abundantly clear to me from, from my time with Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter. They, they're not doing this for, for short-term gains. They're doing this for long-term sustainable success. And that's why I'm so excited. And that's why there's reason reasons to be excited about what we're building here in South Florida. So let's, uh, you mentioned the players and you've mentioned the five core position players that we talk about that you guys ended up moving to bring in all these prospects. Did you look at them as a collective group? Like when you're evaluating this and you're saying, okay, we need to reset the minor league systems, not where it needs to be. We need to bring in prospects. Did you sort of put these guys, your three outfielders, you know, D JT sort of down a list and say, look, ultimately in the next 18 months, we're going to have to move these five guys or was it kind of on as an opportunity arose with each of them well that that was what what changed you know with the ownership change is that you know we we knew that you know where those those players were in in terms of their careers and 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 control of uh of of their careers that we we wanted to make smart decisions and and that is managing your roster and maximizing value and getting the best return you know on your assets and so there was research done and we spent a lot of time talking about each player and what we felt like their value was and 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 what we thought we needed to do and ultimately it made the most sense for where we were as an organization um, to take you know them to market. Uh, you know Riamuto didn't get traded in in the, the off season of seventeen um, because we didn't feel like we were getting fair value for him in those discussions. With other deals, we felt like we got tremendous value, um, and that's ultimately what my job is, and, and our job in baseball operations is to manage our roster um, to try to maximize value of our assets to put us in the best position to, to be successful. So there are other teams in Major League Baseball that have embarked upon somewhat similar paths. Um, we've seen this. We've seen in other sports, too. We see what went on with the Cleveland Browns, the Philadelphia 76ers, where there's a reset. Um, how much did you sort of take from, say, what Houston has done or some other organizations have done where they were willing to sort of take it down, you know, to, to sort of the beginning to restart like what can you take from the other processes and how they've worked out 
well, just the history of the game. You look at, at, at what allows you to be sustainable, and, and there's only so many organizations that can run $200 million payrolls. You have to be able to do it through your, your scouting and your development and your analytics and, and your resources, your, your, your manpower. You know, that is what you invest in uh, because you're in talent collection. You're trying to build. Um, so you want to add as much talent, make the smartest decisions that you can in order to bring the right talent back that will put you in a position to be successful. And, you know, I, I know in Houston's situation, they had three consecutive 100-loss seasons, and then they had another, you know, season with a losing record uh, before they really turned that corner. Um, but in that process, they accumulated a lot of talent. Um, they answered a lot of questions with the players that they had internally. Um, some, you know, stayed in the Springers and the Correas and Altuve's, you know, turned into their core that, that led them to a championship. And there were others that, that didn't work out and, you know, moved on. Um, but it just speaks to, to building something the right way on a solid foundation, you know, by using your manpower and your scouting and your development and your analytics uh, to make smart decisions, to bring the right guys in, to give you that opportunity um, to, to build uh, something sustainable and and you know Houston's a perfect example of a club that you know struggled for you know a long time but then once they they got those young players to the big leagues um, it was their system that's allowed them to stay uh, competitive and and stay you know in a situation where they're competing on a year in and year out basis now you mentioned uh, those guys that are the basis for Houston and a major part of that's uh, part of the questions about this are that can you find and then develop those guys and regularly sort of churn out that as you say as you say those waves of talent do you feel like those three or four guys that you mentioned Correa Springer and Altuve that the version the Marlins version of those three players are in the camp right now um I mean we were very excited with what we were able to get back in in our in our trades and you know obviously you know those those guys are special players MVPs and all-stars um that Houston um you know has you know, acquired and, and developed. And we're hopeful, you know, of, of similar futures for, for our guys. As I said, our goal is to win championships and, and put ourselves on an annual basis to compete for championships. And and I think when you look at what has come back and, and what we've been able to accumulate, you know, you do have impact position players um, who are still young in their careers. And so, you know, they're going to go through their growing pains. Um, but we're very confident in their abilities. Uh, but I think where where I think we've we we're sort of ahead of the curve is with our pitching, and uh, I think that is um, what will allow us to to compete more quickly. And and why you know we don't think that this is going to take a long time uh, when we think about you know returning this organization to to playoff baseball uh, because we feel like we've been able to acquire frontline starting pitching uh, when you're talking about. You know, Jose Urena, who was existing, uh, but then a Sandy Alcantara, a Pablo Lopez, a Trevor Richards, Caleb Smith, uh, and, and those are guys competing at the major league level. You know, our minor league pitcher of the year, Nick Knighter, is at AAA. Zach Gallon, who came over in the St. Louis trade, is also a AAA, was a AAA all-star for us last year. Jorge Guzman and Sixto Sanchez um, be a double-A, along with Robert Duggar all guys who who project as starters and and productive major league starters and then you go even lower and you go to to high a in the jupiter club and you have jordan holloway who's six foot six throwing 100 miles an hour and eduard cabrera and um 
you know, the list of the layers of pitching um, is really where you get exciting, excited because you know that you, you have waves of talent that you're building um, that are going to put you in a position um, to compete on a year in and year out basis. I want to get into some of the benchmarks that you look for when you're looking for particular prospects, whether it's position players or pitchers. But first, um, I think there's a lot of interest in this. You mentioned that a year ago you didn't have a trade you liked for Riomoto and that you were waiting for the right trade. Can you? Because I think fans are always interested in how these processes work. Okay, so, okay, and I know one of our guys, Craig Miss, was reporting it on a daily basis and putting up his percentages on where he was going to end up. And I, I'm just going to say, he didn't end up necessarily he was so where wrong. projected. He I, was so wrong. And I, I tell him that all the said. time. <laughs> I think that needed to be said because I think Atlanta was way up there for a long time. Uh, so I'm just curious, like. What is that like for you? you you're feel, I mean, you have a player who is obviously a coveted player. I think there's no question that JT is a top three catcher in baseball in terms of being an all-around catcher and a young guy uh, who's known as a good clubhouse guy. So how do you uh, – like, what, what was that like on a daily basis? I mean, take us through Mike Hill's day, if you can, <laughs> as you've got this player that all these contenders want. Well, there, there's no – normal day there's no average day because every day comes with its new challenges uh um but you know rewinding and, and going through the the episode with uh with jt you know he's a good player you know so obviously he he's going to be uh, attractive and there's clubs that, that have interest in him um he's just to give you the details and everybody he was uh, a four plus major league service so two more years of club control before he goes off to free agency um you know there there have been attempts to you know talk extension with him that that didn't gain much traction um and then there was some stuff that came out publicly from his side that didn't really impact you know anything that we were doing but there was noise surrounding the player but it's our job to maximize value as i said to maximize value of our assets and so you know the year before we didn't see a, a deal that made sense for um a top and as you said this show is sponsored by better help what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day go for a run take a nap maybe check the stats of the latest miami heat game i've got a better idea A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, Wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Ethan, I think the top um, at the time, the top catcher in baseball, but we'll go with yours, a top three catcher. Um, so 17 teams involved. Um, and they all want the player. Um, so, you know, we, we have our uh, internal system, uh, evaluative system that has our scouting reports and our uh, analytic metrics and has our video and everything that, that we utilize to help us make, uh, make our decisions. Uh, and you, you build deal, deals with, with each respective organization um, and deals that, that we feel what we're trying to accomplish and that's maximize his value um and ultimately you know craig mish got it wrong uh, but uh but uh i told him at the time that he was way off base too but um <laughs> i'll get back to the to the point but um you know so you work the process and and uh we were very thorough and you know we maintained you know communication with with all 17 clubs and then you narrow it um, because you see who's you know really serious ultimately and making a deal and and things get a little more serious uh, you know once you, you you narrow the field and then um, ultimately you find a you know a club that that you think um, has the pieces to make a deal um, to make make a deal that that you think makes sense and you know, I, I think what, what makes it go and gets you traction is when the, the major pieces are, are players that make sense. So we, we saw a deal in Philly where we were trading away two years of, of JT Riamuto um, for five years of, of uh, Jorge Alfaro, 25-year-old, comparably athletic uh, catcher, big-time power, um, one of the best throwing arms in the game, um, five years of him. And then, you know, one of the top uh, pitching prospects in all of baseball and Sixto Sanchez, a 20-year-old um, who had pitched his way to double A um, plus pitches across the board, someone who projects as a front of the rotation um, front of the rotation starter um, in the future and uh, you know we ended up getting uh, those two pieces as the, the start of the deal and then we added in um, their top left-handed pitching prospect and Will Stewart, who we think projects as, as another um, front, the middle of the rotation, starting pitcher. And we got international money on top of that. So we were very pleased with the return that we got, turning two years of, of an asset into however many years of control and talent um, that we think will will contribute to, to many championships uh, for many years to come. So you said 17 teams involved initially. I'm not going to make you name them all. Uh, the last day of it, before you go, I assume at the point where you got the offer you wanted and you go to ownership or whatever and say, you know, is this, are we good to go here? How many teams were involved at the end stage? You don't have to reveal them, but I'm just curious. On the last day, was it 
three teams were still kind of in the mix there. How many were you playing off of each other at that? Because I assume there's a little bit of a game of chicken that's going on there at the end. Like, if we don't get this, we're going to go forward with this. So how many were you dealing with in the last 24 hours? Um, I would say, you know, when when things got serious, we were probably down to five clubs. Um, And... You know, I'm, I consider myself to be a fair negotiator. You talk to my peers, you talk to other, you know, representatives. I, I think I have a fair, repu- you know, reputation um, as a negotiator. And, you know, from, from our standpoint, we were clear with all of the clubs of, of what it was going to take. So each respective club sort of knew the, the bar that they had to get over to get traction, you know, in the discussions. And, and uh, as you, you finally get serious with Philadelphia, you, you just make them aware. You know, I'm not hiding the ball, you know, with, with, with our asset. You know, if we get what we want, we'll make the deal. If we don't, then we'll keep the player. We have him for two more years, and we're happy with, with doing that, more than happy to do that. We did not have to trade him. Um, but in the end, it just made sense for, for what we're building. Uh, to maximize the value of an asset, to to make the deal with uh, with Philadelphia, and uh, we ultimately got there. And you know, once you you got to the the agreement, you have to work through all of the paperwork at that point, and uh, the medical reviews, and and then you you ultimately, once you get approvals on all that, you have an official deal. I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Rimuto, but also you mentioned those five position players um, that you had that were kind of the basis of the team, and you just decided that it, that wasn't enough. And I'm just, you said that Rimuto was in your mind the best catcher in baseball at the time. I remember covering Media Day in 2015, I want to say, and before that season, you said that we, we feel like we have the best outfield in baseball. I remember looking at you going, wait, really? Like, I, 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 I didn't see the, the, the projection for what Yelich and Ozuna, Ozuna ended up becoming. So, when you feel like you have, like, that feels like the, a massive part of a foundation of a playoff caliber team. Best outfield in baseball, best catcher in baseball. Why do you think that didn't quite get all the way? Pitching. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. Yeah. Um, pitching dominates this game. Mm-hmm. It's over half your roster. It impacts the game on a daily basis. And we just did not have the pitching. And, and obviously there was a tragedy that, that struck the organization in, in September of, of, uh, of 2016. Um, and, you know, that, that changed a lot of things um, because you didn't have that, that ace at the front sure. of your rotation. Um, but it's, it's always pitching, it, you know. And, and I think you, you asked a question earlier about, you know, it, it wasn't a lesson learned. It was a lesson I've always mm-hmm. believed sure. in. Um, that if you're going to build it, you need to have those waves of pitching, and it needs to be championship caliber pitching. Um, we want the guys who are going to lead us to championships, the the cute little guys who are going to you know pitch at the back end of the rotation. Those guys are nice, and there's a role for them. Um, but you know we know that you win championships when you get those big physical guys who are going to pitch game one and game four and game seven of a playoff series and. And every time they, they take the mound, they have an opportunity to throw a no-hitter or to shut a team out. And when you look at, at the pitchers that we're going to be running out there, you're going to have that similar feeling. Um, and they're just growing in their abilities. But you're going to have that feeling with Jose Arena. You're going to have that feeling with Pablo Lopez, who actually his last outing went five scoreless, shutout, no-hit innings, perfect innings, um, his last outing out. Um, 
but because I think that just impacts the game so much. Obviously, we need to score runs and you need to have the right um, group of position players. But I, I truly believe that it all starts with, with that championship caliber pitching. And, and you mentioned Jose, and I, I wanted to ask you about, and, and it seemed grim, right? So when it happens, it's all about the family and just how awful it was. And those next couple of nights, I went to the ballpark for that first game after uh, after he died and just what an just emotional and tragic scene that was. But do you have with sort of the ability of time and years to step back and go, this is how it changed the trajectory of our team and, and just how many different ways the organization has had to sort of evolve from that from a baseball point of view. Um, I mean, that's that's a pretty multi-layered yeah, um, yeah. Um, question. Um, and, I mean, you, you hit it. It, it changed a, a lot just from a baseball standpoint, just having an ace. You go one day having an ace, the next day you don't have an ace. And you can build a pitching staff um, a lot of different ways when you know you have games one, four, and seven covered. Um, and... You know, that's essentially what was lost um, that early morning of uh, September 26th. You know, so, so from that standpoint, you, you know, you never forget the player um, or the memory, uh, but you have to move on and you have to try to, to, to work with, with what you have. And, you know, you had a, a group of position players um, that were talented but it just magnified the, the need the need to have pitching. And when the pitching wasn't there, you know, the lack of pitching and the lack of a minor league system um, and just highlighted a lot of holes that, that you know, you were, you were covering up because you were trying to chase at the major league level. So I want to get into the benchmarks now a little bit because now that you've brought in some prospects, there seem to be certain themes in terms of the prospects that you've brought in. And I just want to see if, if we're identifying this correctly. So when you take a look at, at pitching, it seems that velocity matters, and as you said, physicality matters. And when I look at the position players you're bringing in, it seems like athleticism is a big part of this. Obviously, you want as many tools as possible, but there seems to be sort of a common thread there. Is that accurate? Is that what you're looking I mean, I know you don't want to pigeonhole guys, but uh, the overall philosophical sort of view of the organization, is that, is that where it is for you? Yes, I, I think that's fair, Ethan. When you when you look at our position players, I, I want you to see athleticism. I want you to see physicality. Um, I want you to see, you know, championship caliber players. You know, when you look at Lewis Brinson, he's six foot five and two hundred and fifteen pounds, and Monty Harrison is six three two. 15 and they all can run like the wind and they can play plus defense and and they can impact the game in every way conceivable and I, I think that's probably the overriding you know quality when you think about our talent um, and our search of talent is we want impact um, because our goal is to win championships and so our standard is is championship caliber talent so you want the most athletic you want the the most physical you want um the the best delivery you want the 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 loosest arms you know the guys who throw the hardest um knowing that you know obviously that there's some some refinement with all of that but the bar is set very high here and um and that is you know what we we work towards every day and uh and that won't ever change and, and from a player development standpoint, I feel like a lot of teams are, are kind of going for that 
high level athleticism are, are looking for the same things but ultimately it is the development and, and the coaching that that plays a massive role in that you mentioned Don Mattingly is kind of your partner in all of this how difficult is it to turn prospect into player a major league level high-end player that is delivering game in and game out how difficult is that process actually oh, it, it is definitely uh, a test of patience um, a test of commitment um, a test of dedication um, but when you look at our player development system you know that's run by Gary Dimbo and Dick Scott you know that there's there's everyone is is in on what we're building here there's complete buy-in um, from top to bottom uh, and that commitment is obvious um, in every where you look and everyone you talk to um, there's an enthusiasm um, for what we're building and I think you know, the one thing that, that we do have in, in my 25th year in baseball, we have experience. So we know um, that this is not an easy process. And we know that it takes patience, but it takes commitment. And it takes, you know, an unwavering commitment. You know, it's easy to change courses when the going gets tough. Uh, but when, you know, Lewis Brinson's hitting below 200 in the big leagues, but you believe in what you're doing with him and you believe in the work that he's doing to make himself a better player, that takes resolve, and uh, I think that's one thing organizationally. Um, you know, we have a solid understanding of, of who we are, um, but even more so, we have a solid understanding of where we're going organizationally, and we're committed to getting ourselves there. So, is this fair to say that you're having more fun now? <laughs> I don't know what can make you think that, but a big, big smile on my face. Um, uh, no, but it's you know when when you see the young athletes and. And when you see the power arms and, you know, it, the, the, the pitching staff could be mistaken for a basketball team because everybody's 6'5 and 6'6 and they're all throwing 100. Um, <laughs> you know, that's what's so exciting because you see, you know, we've, we've been here. We've, we've seen this. I've seen this happen before. And that's why I get excited because I, I, I believe in these young players and what they are going to become. And, you know, when I tell you that – these guys have talent. Are you going to believe me next time, Chris? When I tell yeah. you these guys have talent? Okay. He's, I, our, he's our network. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I tried to tell Mish back in the day. To, yeah. but, I, but I will tell you this, to be fair to Chris on this, um, because we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, I've covered the Heat for years and years and what the Dolphins are engaging in now. And we've. I will say Chris has been a proponent of the idea that you don't want to be in the middle. Right, and, and I, I just I'm curious for your view on that in baseball because we've talked about the Astros a little bit, but I mean the Dolphins are doing a reset. That's basically what they've acknowledged. You look at free agency the past couple of days; it's clear they're not going to spend big money on guys. They're going to break it down, try to find their quarterback, and build back up. The Heat always sort of want to try to compete, even if it's from the middle on up. So I, I guess the question is: I mean, are you a fan of sort of other sports? Do you follow kind of this trend because it does seem like the middle in sports is the worst possible place to be. No, I'm a I'm a sports fan. As you know, I was a multi-sport athlete growing up, so I follow you know uh, what the other sports are doing. Chris Greer is actually a, a good friend. Our our kids played uh, little league baseball together, so I know Chris with the Dolphins well. Um, but you know, I, I, the the goal is to win championships. You don't do that middling. Um, you don't give yourself an opportunity to win championships unless you're built the right way to do that. And, you know, that's why in, you know, the fall of 17, there were tough decisions that needed to be made. You really had to look in the mirror and to say, you know, these position players are good. They are. But if I'm going to be honest with how you truly win a championship and how, how you, you know, 
are the last team standing. You don't do it without pitching. You don't do it without a, a strong minor league system. And we didn't have either of those. And so, you know, that, I think that's, you know, the, 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 the stress that comes with the job that, you know, th- those are tough decisions that, you know, are not easy, um, but ones that if you're being honest with yourself, if you're being honest with the, with the organization, with the community, you just have to say that this, this is, is not going to work and we need to, we need to, to do something differently. All right, so final I, 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 I just want to ask you about the resolve element of it because um, I, I don't think that a lot of teams that have set out on these sorts of plans, like the ones that you guys have undertook, have really the people that have been the initiators of it have gotten to see it through the full uh, length of the way. One of the areas that I think it could be different for you guys is that this seems to have been a part of the plan from ownership. And if ownership is bought in, then they can't really, you know, say it's your fault. This was their idea as well as it was your idea. So is there any level of concern that embarking on this strategy could potentially result in your, your, your position being questioned or your, your, your tactics being questioned of how you're doing this job? Control what you can control, Chris. That's Mm -hmm. a a value I live by. Um, I know I have a job to do. Um, I'm asked my opinion of, of how I think we need to do it. And obviously ownership is, is very much in, involved and, in, you know, stay in communication with them. Um, but as I said, we've got buy-in from top to bottom on, on what we're building here. And uh, I think we're all incredibly excited with, uh, with what the future holds and, and uh, you know, can't wait to, to, to see, see it through. All right, so last one here. Uh, you know somebody else in our network. So I just want to ask you, what kind of a neighbor is O.J. McDuffie? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do know someone else, and O.J.'s great. And uh, we also have a son of similar ages, and and we have a a wall between our two houses. So his son routinely jumps over and hits in the cage with my son. Um, So it's all good. He's a great neighbor. Um, Doesn't play the music too loud, so it's all good. Have you played on that court? Um, we actually have our own court. Oh, so. see, look at that. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Living so. the life of West Broward. All right, I, I understand it. I get it. I get it. All right, that's very good stuff. All right, Mike Hill, um, obviously we'll be following the Marlins closely this year. Really appreciate the time and the cooperation. Just one thing I want to say before we go, uh, cooperation from the team has been really great with us, and, and that we've noticed a change in that regard, you know, in, in terms of maybe what was experienced a few years ago. So we uh, we appreciate that, and, and hopefully uh, we'll be sort of along the ride as you guys grow this thing. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Pocket. Thank you so much. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.